So I'm reading from Acts chapter 9 and verses 7 to 16 and you can find that in page 1102 in the Church Bible. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Amen. We're going to have uh, a prayer now, please, Kathy. And it's, um, it'll come in three parts. And it's a prayer before, often used uh, either before reading or listening to God's word. We used it when we did uh, the streams in the autumn last year before each session. So some of you are familiar with it, but others it would be uh, new to you. So uh, let's have a pause, and then the second section, and then the third and the final. And this is our prayers. We ask God to speak to us through his word. Let's read it together. Reveal, O Lord, to my eyes your glory. Expose, O Lord, to my heart your love. Disperse, O Lord, from my mind the darkness. Fill, O Lord, my mind with your light. Protect, O Lord, from thoughts without action. Guard, O Lord, from words without feeling. Defend, O Lord, from ideas without results and surround me with your presence. Open my eyes, my heart, my mind, my will, my soul to the glowing of your spirit. I trust we will experience that today. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you will indeed open the whole of our being to the prompting and the stirring of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the uniqueness of coming together as a worshipping community. And with all of the differences and the diversity of experience and outlook, we thank you for that richness that brings blessing and encouragement to us personally and collectively. Lord, we thank you for answers to prayer. 
And we thank you for this vision of being pilgrims on a journey. Surely all of us can look back and say through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Your grace has brought us safe thus far. And surely your grace will not abandon us and bring us home. So we ask, O oh Lord, during this holiday time, so much is taking place throughout the country that is immensely encouraging among young and old alike. And simply for the opportunity to stand back from the routine of work and home and school and family and come together. So would you help us as we pray and enable us to take something distinctive from this service that will spur us on into the coming week. We do remember those who are unable to be here today. Some who just are so poorly that they're at home and others in hospital. We commend them to your grace. And we ask, O oh Lord, that they might know that this is your day. And whatever their circumstances, there will be an inner assurance that they can be glad and rejoice. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. And for those who are away from us and regular worshippers and visitors alike that we might celebrate with thanksgiving and now be open to what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has to say to us. Help us in all these things, Lord, to live for your glory. And so it is that we come in this troubled world with such terrible scenes that we see in our television, conflict in Gaza, in the Middle East, and families struggling to come to terms with the suddenness of bereavement. And Lord, we thank you for those who are involved in Glasgow with the Commonwealth Games and chaplains and Christians in sport who are just making themselves available and for the Christian community that seeks to be salt and light where you have placed them. May that be true of us as we come today and ask that you would graciously hear all our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have a, a confession to make. That reading was my fault. It should have been in the evening. And uh, so, with that introduction, if you look at Philippians, I could weave it in. I know. I mean, I no, I could. I could. I was tempted to, but confession is good for the soul. I was sitting there thinking, how can I weave this in? That wouldn't be right. So if you look at Philippians 3, um, and you're looking at verses 7 to 16. You will have heard of um, a young preacher who is called to his first pastorate in a traditional rural community a bit like this in Kentucky. 
It's evidently the true account of his first month of being a pastor. At the end of the, uh, in the first service, he prepared diligently a three-pointed sermon on the evils of smoking. And the elders got together and met him at the door and said, Young man, do you realize that half your congregation makes money from growing tobacco? Thank you for telling me. So the following Sunday, he preached a sermon on the evils of whiskey. At the door, the elders came to him and said, Young man, do you realize that a third of your congregation distills just Daniels? He said, I didn't know that. Well, you do now. So the third Sunday comes along and he preached a bit against the evils of gambling on the horses. The elders went and said, young man, this is rural Kentucky and many in the congregation breed horses for racing. The fourth Sunday comes and he preached a three-pointed sermon on the dangers inherent in deep-sea diving in international waters. He was safe. But the problem with and the perennial danger of political correctness is that we become irrelevant. Maybe interesting, but actually in terms of our faith, utterly irrelevant. One of the things that comes to us from uh, God's Word, and particularly the letters, and we're thinking of uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, is this, that there is this ring of, of realism as God's Word comes to us. We use an illustration in a different context. Journalists, and particularly political journalists, uh, recently were commenting, speculating on the cabinet reshuffle. Bring in the ladies, take out the old boys. And um, one political commentator who was asked, do you know what's going on? His reply was, those who don't know, talk. And those who talk, don't know. Well, it's an enigmatic reply, isn't it? Do we know? what we are talking about. And the things that we talk about, does it have relevance? Or are we a community of people who, even unconsciously, are governed by political correctness, not wanting to offend, and so on. And as a result, albeit good people, successful people even, losing our edge in terms of how the gospel comes and to impact people. So, the, the heading that uh, we have here, and it's taken from um, Philippians 3, 7 to 16, is pressing on, pressing on, pressing on towards the goal. The backdrop of this could well be the Commonwealth Games. I'm sure many of you have been riveted to see uh, in incredible um, sporting cars. Um, the Brownlee boys are so inspiring, aren't they? And so modest. Um, 
you can't help but be inspired by their achievement. I want to ask a few questions, uh, which come by way of um, introduction. Three questions, very quickly. The first, then, we're all about being said. Would you consider yourself to be teachable? Do I consider myself to be teachable? The best way to answer that question would be ask somebody who knows you well and be prepared for their honest answer. Second question, as we think of the home groups that have come to a conclusion or break for the summer and think of the regular worship here Sunday by Sunday, what has God been teaching you recently in your personal life, wherever you are at this particular stage, young families or perhaps the children have moved away or retirement or whatever? And the answer to that has to be, is there really any practical difference? Is there any practical difference as to what God has been teaching? Or is it merely accumulation of knowledge? And the third question, and as best we can answer this, this is more tricky, at least for me anyway, is this, under what circumstances would you tend to drift, to drift? Spiritually, Is it when you're away from uh, the fellowship? Or is it when all the pressures come upon you? To think of the Commonwealth Games for a moment, I guess most of us would have to admit that we have too much baggage. And the whole point of uh, that opening hymn for all the saints here to run with perseverance run with perseverance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, here we are then, pressing on towards the goal. Let's have a few quick headings and uh, see what this has to say to us. The first is this. Ah, yes, uh, for those yet at times, um, there's a little section every day that's called The Last Word, and I cut this out some, a while ago, and Kathy, you did bring it up. Could you bring it again? Uh, Edward Hale. Yeah, if you could have it now. Yeah. Uh, it's called Edward Everett Hale. Just think about that. Think of yourself. The danger is, we think, well, I'm only one, you know, can't do much, that sort of thing. So he says, true, I am only one. But I am one. I cannot do everything. But I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Now, that is common grace. If you start comparing yourself with other people, you end up doing nothing. That isn't helpful. You are who you are. I am who I am. I am one. And there is something distinctive that I can do. And I hope that you don't allow political correctness to inhibit you from doing what God has called you to do. Well, let's look at these things very quickly then. 
to sustain, uh, to make the goal, if you like, to hit the spot. The first is this, and from Philippians 3, um, 12 to 16, we'll narrow it down to that, just follow it, it'll unfold uh, in front of you. We look at these four quick headings. The first, the plan is progress. We are to make progress. And therefore, let's pursue it. The plan is progress. Let's pursue it. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or if you like, spiritually I haven't arrived. I've still got more grace to be felt in my life, more progress to be made. So, not that I've already attained all this, or I've already been made perfect, but I've yet it. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The goal is progress. Well, let's pursue it. The pursuit is the goal. What is Paul doing here? We read earlier on his, how he came to faith. But he's still growing in his faith. And now he's saying, um, I want to admit my imperfection. The great Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament expressing his imperfections. Making progress, pressing on, can be Painful. Again, think of these athletes. Think of the discipline, the sacrifice, their social life, what they eat, what they drink, where they go, in order for this to please in this goal, to go for gold and to achieve it, knowing that only a few will do that. Making progress can be painful. It's a cliche, isn't it? No gain without pain. Sometimes uh, we are disappointed with ourselves. We might think, you know, I've been a Christian for more than half my life. And if you're looking in the spiritual mirror, you're saying, really, there's not much to show. We can be disappointed with ourselves, or possibly we are disappointed with others. And what Paul is saying here is, it's not that I've already attained it, and I'm not made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. So, don't be put off. Either with yourself or be disillusioned with other people. Or the hypocrisy, the inconsistency within the church. Yes! you remember the great Spurgeon, won't you, when you know, he asked somebody, do you think you should come to church? And he says, no, it's too many hypocrites. There's room for another one. As if, don't defend the church against it foibles and failings, face them. This lack of prayer, lack of spiritual progress. Says, join us in the journey of faith, rather than be a mere spectator. Don't be put off. Press on. Press on to growth and maturity. We're not stupid saints, but we are saints. Secondly, look at the next verse. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead. Here again, you've got this idea, and in fact, Paul has the Olympics in his mind. 
we're thinking of the Commonwealth Games uh, at the moment. Think of verse 13 and ask the question, how often are you aware that you have senior moments? Well, I hope you are, because if you don't, you're in bigger trouble. Think about it. Um, so what he's saying here is, this isn't a senior moment simply to forget something that you should, should remember. But look, forgetting what is behind and straining towards the head. We need to just uh, unpack that just very quickly. To forget doesn't mean to have a lapse of memory. Or, there's something I should have done and uh, I forgot. Doesn't mean we fail to remember. It doesn't even mean that we would choose to try to erase pain or memory from abuse or mistakes done to us or us to other people. We can't do that. We can't do that. Well then what does this mean? It means this. That by God's grace, the grace of Jesus Christ active in our lives, that we can break the power of the past. You can't turn back the clock as if it didn't happen. It happened. Now, think of the impact of what happened. That's what Paul is saying. Good or ill, you put it in the context of your journey of faith. The power of the past by living now and looking to the future, pressing on to the goal. Can I put it like this? None of us can change the past. We can't. But we can change the impact and the influence of the past as it dogs our steps so often. The best illustration would be, and you've seen it in the television this week, the Brown brothers, Johnny and Ali, they're remarkable athletes. And at certain times in the triathlon, they are not looking back. They know that people are snapping on their heels. They know that. They're looking on. That's the idea. The athlete, as he takes the lead, he says, now if I spend all my time looking back over my shoulder, I'm finished. I'm using that energy. I'm losing, I'm losing the goal. Do you see it? Don't keep looking back. So spiritually, don't keep looking over your shoulder. That's what Paul is saying. We can't choose to forget things. But we mustn't let particularly to like the negative impact of the past influence our lives so much and so Paul's able to say brothers I do not consider myself to take hold of it but one thing I do now you've got it haven't you forgetting uh, what is behind and straining to what is ahead I'm not looking over my shoulders anymore so the plan is progress we pursue it you are one you are uniquely one and you can do something that will last for eternity Pursue it. The past is over. Don't keep looking over your shoulder. Some people like to live in the past. The past in church history. Those great events when the church was glorious and revival came. And they live in the past. And the danger is they have nothing to say in the present. The past tense Christians. Thirdly, the future is beckoning. Go for it. Go for it. Look at verses 13 and 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards the head. Here it is. 
powerful language, isn't it? I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It has pressing on as this idea of, of intense endeavor. You have to press on. You, you have to break through the pain barrier. Some of the folk who've had surgery recently, and you know you, you have physio and it's pain, but you have to do it. It's difficult, but you have to break through it, otherwise you're not going to recover. Press on, the idea of endeavor. You, can't, you, you don't become an athlete. You look at the Commonwealth Games again, think of that and, as, as it takes place, um, by listening, or getting a video on what it is to be an athlete. Or if you want to do judo or something, and you say, well, I've read, the, I've read the textbook, so I know what... And then you go on them, and you're finished, don't you? You, you, don't, you don't become an athlete like that. Or listening to lectures, or listening to sermons. No, not like that. They may be helpful. Or the golfer has a picture of Tiger Wood, just looks at him and dreams. You don't have to be a golfer like that. And you will not become a Christian who is able to press on and make some impact where you are unless you go for it. And that's what we told you. Go for it. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I say there's two extremes here and partly temperament and background kicks in? The first is this. The two extremes is this. And there are two extremes I say to avoid. The first is this. Uh, uh, okay. And some people are far too conscientious. You want to... You, you say, well, I have to do this. I'm going to do it all. It's called the Sinatra syndrome. I'll do it my way and I'll do it all. And that is exhausting. It's exhausting. And there are some people, sometimes even in church or work, they get burnout. That's an extreme that we need to avoid. And then immediately the pendulum can swing the other way, and you say, okay, I know I mustn't do it all, I know, not very good. So I just said, God do it. Remember, first year in college, there was this thing going around which I never understood, never liked, and not to this day, where some used to say, and they should know better, let go and let God. And I said, whatever do you mean? And we had a long and interesting discussion. Let go and let God. So the two extremes, I must do it all, God must do it all. If the first is exhausting, the second is just an excuse. We're not that busy to do things. Both extremities are wrong as the pendulum swings violently. But if we are to get this right, just turn over the page back to Philippians 2 and just see what Paul says here in verse 12. Philippians 2 verse 12. This is the corrective, if you like. My dear friend, verse 12. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, have a workout of your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You see, it's not an either or. 
See what he does. He brings both together. Yes, you do your part. Let God do his part. Work together. So they, it's, it's an excellent comment, isn't it? You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let God work in you according to his good purpose. Let's do it together. Do you see that? That is so important. And lastly, if the future is beckoning, we go for it. And even if we make mistakes, God can overrule in that. But the main thing is this healthy attitude which we need to maintain. It is so easy to develop negative attitudes towards other people or ourselves. So come back to Philippians 3 and verse 15. All of us who are mature, in varying degrees, of course, all of us should take such a view of things. And if in some point you think differently, and don't we, and so we should, we don't all think the same. We're not robots, are we? Of course we think differently, and our perspective and personality, and isn't that a great thing? It's one of the things I was saying about, you know, working with me. He and I were very different. It may not have been easy for us, but it was much better for the church have people who are always the same, always agreeing, never thinking independently, is boring and thoroughly unspiritual. Think differently in this whole uh, growing together. So, let's come back to it. Uh, uh, maintain this healthy, determined attitude. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if in some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Don't slip back. Don't lose the progress that you've made. Now the word mature is an interesting one. It means to be complete or replete. I've come so far, but I haven't arrived. I'm grateful to God, but there's more to do. I'm now ready for the next lesson. If you like, my, my life, our lives, all of us, it's a bit like a book. We've got a story. And there are chapters. There are some chapters where there's a lot to record. And there are others, there's very little. It's been a thin, lean time. And, and now you're ready for the next lesson, the next chapter, until the story, the book of life is finished. Some of us feel that the book finished prematurely wasn't fair. But who are you to judge God's providence? This idea of mature is to be complete and ready for the next lesson. There's a new chapter that's opening up. You see, verse 15, I think what it's really saying is this, that you have the liberty to grow at your own pace. You are who you are. And it's as if the Lord wants to play to our strength. You know, the wrestlers wouldn't be very good in the hundred meters, would they? Or the, the short put who is going to do a marathon. They might, but they take a 
a long time to get there. You, you see, place of, of strength. God's grace dovetailing with our nature. Verse 15 is really saying, be yourself. You are at liberty to grow at your place. Don't compare yourself with other people. And verse 16 is surely saying this, keep a right attitude. This is the holiday time and many, of some have been, but most will be away of these months. Just try to take this with you. Take it with you. Work it out. Pressing on towards the goal. What is to close with a simple, very simple acrostic, but see how it applies to us um, as we press on towards this goal. L is for listening. I, I mean, you are a good congregation and you are good listeners. Um, if, if I was to make if you'd ask Hannah, she will confirm, I'm not a good listener. Alas, not proud of that, keep trying. Have it. But listening, particularly when other people are speaking, rather than always waiting them to finish and break into the sentence. Let's, let's, let's be listening. Listening to what the Spirit has to say to us. God's Word as it impacts our lives. Oh, just to be people who overlook other people's faults rather than criticize. That can become a habit. In some places it's a family habit. Always pointing the finger. And it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your subculture, if you like. Overlooking. Forgiving other people's failings. Rather, it, you know, children are very good at that, pointing faults. It's a childish thing. It is the grace of God. It's, it's the magnanimity of God that he can forgive. And we are not at our best when we criticize other people. And we, for just valuing one another, the pressure is on relationships in society all the time. Well, let's value each other for who and what we are to value one another. And as we have opportunity, let's express, not simply agree, but to, to express something of this, this love in practical ways as we have opportunity. We can do it in words and words. We can do it in practice. We can share, we can listen, we can grow. I hope that we prepare to do that. And that way we are surely doing what we are urged to do here, is to press on towards the goal, or as these athletes are doing, pressing on for gold. You know, it's good to be good starters. And the marathon in Glasgow is taking place, I guess, as we speak now, but, but to be a good finisher. And you know, some people who finish last and they're hours behind, when you look at what they've achieved, then it's a humbling thing. And you feel like saying, good on you. Good on you. 
Think of all that you've been through, all the challenges, all the difficulties, and you make it. And it's just as great as the person who breaks the finishing line, as far as God is concerned. Good starters. Good finishers. So the plan is progress. Pursue it. The past is over. Forget it. Don't keep looking over your shoulders. The future is definite. Go for it. And the main thing, as B.L. Moody once said, the main thing is the main thing. It's the main thing. Maintain it. Don't be distracted by anything else. We'll pray together and then sing our closing hymn. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you that you have brought us together today. And we are living in this world at this particular time in human history. A time of rapid change constantly. We can barely keep up. And some of us feel that we've been left behind. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to lose sight of you. Save us from being cynical and disillusioned, either with others or ourselves. And give us a fresh awareness that your spirit is working among us. For those who are away that they will be blessed and of the joy of being together as friends and family. For so many of our young folk at camps of various kinds, that there would be a significant turning point in their lives, a redirecting and an assurance that in their growing in faith and in relationships, in their futures, that your blessing would rest upon them. Lord, there are families who struggle, there are incredible health issues and financial constraints, insecurity of work, and children leaving home, elderly parents where the challenge is enormous, grandparents at their wit's end with young children and all that that entails. Lord, we come to you and ask that you will help us where we are, at this point in our lives, and into all of these situations, bring your amazing grace, we pray. Help us in all these things, that even now as we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. May we share in the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.